Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Frary and Smith podcast. The Sun Belt established themselves as the premier group of five conference in 2023, putting a record 12 teams into bowl season. Coastal Carolina was one of those making their fourth consecutive bowl appearance while Arkansas State bucked early expectations on their way to a bowl game for the first time since 2019. Today, we're putting the 2023 seasons in review as we continue our annual in review series. But before we do, we wanted to tell you about Monday's episode. Caden and I sat down with Sunbelt Commissioner Keith Gill to review the 2023 season and discuss how the Sunbelt fits into the ever-evolving world of college football. It's an excellent interview that you're going to need to make time to listen to. Today on episode 174 of the show, it's time to put the Coastal Carolina Shauna Clears and Arkansas State Red Wolves in review. Voice of the Shots Joe Cashin will join us first, followed by a conversation with Voice of the Red Wolves Matt Stoltz later in this episode. Caden, let's talk Coastal Carolina. They were one of two teams in the league this year with a first-year head coach. Tim Beck guides this team to a great finish that also includes a bowl victory. This team accomplished all of that despite starting three different quarterbacks throughout the year. When you think back on 2023, Caden, what will you remember about the Chanticleer season? No, I'll really remember just how solid of a season it was in the first year under Tim Beck, just giving the hand he was dealt. When you were first coming into this job and you're handed the best quarterback, arguably at the group of five level. And next thing you know, you're starting two other quarterbacks behind him. You're starting the conference schedule off. zero and two things could have went sideways for this team at a lot of different sparks. If you just spots, if you just look at their schedule, but the fact that they were able to have that stability go on that five game winning stretch, which I think really allowed this offensive staff to flex their muscles and show what they were capable of. I think despite this team, maybe getting dealt, not the most favorable hand. The, their ability to adapt, I think, gives a lot of promise going to year two under Tim Beck. And I'll just definitely remember them being able to fight battle and really show those intangibles you want to see a team have under a first-year head coach. Definitely a team that fought hard and ultimately proved to be successful this year. Well, let's not waste any more time. Coastal Carolina's Joe Cashin uh, is here. It's time to review the Shawna Clears 2023 season. Well, we are excited to be joined by the voice of the Shauna Clear Show, Cashin, here on our latest in review episode. Joe, thanks for taking some time out of your schedule to join us. Hey, no problem, Noah and Kane. Thanks for having me on here on this beautiful day. Well, this one should be a lot of fun. Uh, Joe, in Tim Beck's first season at the helm, he had to start three different quarterbacks, uh, but this team still manages to go eight and five. And then they capped off the year with a bowl win in Hawaii against a very good San Jose State team. Uh, you had a front row seat to it all. What were or what will you remember about the 2023 Coastal Carolina season? It was a pretty good season, you know. Overall, when you win eight games and you win a bowl game and you're right there in the mix for you know the the division title into the last week of the season, and then you go off to Hawaii and win a bowl game, and you have three really bucket list road trips overall on the season. I mean, it was it was it was a fun ride in some ways. It was a little tough to start. Right, you know, we had a bit of an unusual September. Got off to an uneven kind of beginning. Uh, going to UCLA, that was a bucket list trip. I'd been waiting on that for eight years. You know, the day that we announced for FBS, you know, our AD gets back to his office. UCLA's on the horn. Hey, we want a game with you guys. And so, all the way back in 2015, that got set up. So we went out there and played. Played well. Didn't win the game, and then we won a couple there after that. The Jacksonville State win was. You know, incredibly underrated, quite frankly. I mean, that was a pretty good team that we had to schedule kind of late 
and we won that game. And then we lost a couple to Georgia State. Georgia Southern really didn't play that well. And then things turned around at Appalachian State. I mean, that was probably the highlight win of the year, quite frankly. It is not easy to win there. And you go there and you win, you got a lot of respect for what they've done. You know, Caden can speak to – obviously, he can speak to that. But, I mean, to go there and win was the highlight of the year. And then, you know, the Old Dominion come back, and then finally we capped it off with the with a bowl win. It was just great. And like you mentioned, three different quarterbacks. Second time in school history, we won three straight games with three different starting quarterbacks. Pretty remarkable to be able to do that. Once we lost Grayson, and then we lost Jarrett Guest, and then Ethan Vasco runs out there, and, you know, he pretty much finishes off the season for us. But it was a pretty good start to the Tim Beck era, I would say. No, there's no question about that. I appreciate having you on the program, Joe. But Lou, talk about those those two losses, the the Sunbelt losses, the 0-2 start to Georgia State and Georgia Southern. And the next thing you know, this team's rattling off an impressive five-game winning streak. A number of those games were close. As we've mentioned, there's three different quarterbacks that are starting at the helm during that stretch. What moments will you remember most about that five-game winning streak? And what would you say maybe fueled that run of success we saw from Coastal this year? Okay, that's a great question. You know, again, we started off that September. It's kind of like, where are we going to go now in October? Because it was really on the brink. You know, we didn't we didn't know which way the season was going to go because we came out of that thing two and three. We didn't play particularly well. Grayson didn't have a great game at Georgia Southern. We lost that football game, a game that we you know really felt like we should have won. You know, they tried to throw us the ball and we wouldn't catch it. And then Grayson, of course, had some picks in that game, and we really didn't know how it was going to go because our next stop was moving to North Carolina, right? I mean, we never won there, 0-6. And it's like, if we lose that game, you know, we're, we're going to be 0-3 and then a big-time big, a big time bind the rest of the way. And then we get up. We get up there, and Grayson, you know, career day in terms of yardage, you know, yards passing in that game. And, you know, we're going into winning, and we get stopped on fourth down. And <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, we've, we've led this whole game. And, and here's that. They're going to steal this thing like they did in 21, and then we force a fumble and go ahead and win the game. Almost the, the exact same way that they beat us in 21. And that, that sequence was what, in my opinion, turned things around, right? We forced a fumble, went and you know, ran off the last 443 and kicked the winning game-winning field goal, and that turned us around. And then, of course, we go to Arc State. You know, about what was it, 10 days later, and we lose Grayson, you know, kind of on a just a, a play that I, I can sit here for an hour and just tell you how irritated and aggravated I am that nothing was really ever done about that. But I won't. We lost Grayson, but we won the game. And then, you know, we, we come back uh, after that and we beat Marshall with Jarrett Guest. And so now we're really rolling. We're in the five game winning streak. We got something going. We're really feeling it. And of course, he gets hurt in that game, right? And so, it's like, gosh, who's up next? I mean, am I going to have to go out there and throw the ball a little bit? I don't know. But you know, Ethan Vasco comes in and he does a good job. We rally it at, uh, at at Old Dominion and win that game. And you know, then then the Army thing was just man, that was just the weirdest thing. <laughs> you know, I've I had been looking forward to the Army trip just because of my Army background and having retired from the National Guard in 2022. And we get up there and they start running triple. They hadn't shown that all year long. They hadn't been under center five times all year. And next thing you know, they're under center running triple. <laughs> and we, we're trying to figure this thing out. It was a tough loss. And of course, James Madison was tough too. But then after right, you know, two days, three days after that game, guess what? I get a, I get a phone call. We're going to Hawaii. I'm like, what? Huh? <laughs> really? It's like, yep, that's our reward. So that's, uh, those are, those are the, you know, the big moments that I, that I, I certainly remember from this year. Yeah, I still remember being on the sideline for that win over App State and just seeing uh, kind of the difference in emotions because I was also on the sideline for the loss against Georgia State earlier in the year. So uh, that was obviously a big turning point of the season. 
Joe, it seemed like during that stretch that Tim Beck and offensive coordinator Clint Trickett really showed flashes of what this offense was capable of. You and Coastal fans got really accustomed to watching that Jamie Chadwell offense. What were your takeaways this season watching Tim Beck's offense? Well, it, you know, him, him and Travis was Travis Trickett. They, they, those guys are uh, ran, you know, ran things, and they they had to, they had to. We we still incorporated a lot of the a lot of the stuff, you know, the option concepts that that Jamie and and those guys, Willie Corn and Newland Isaac, those guys had had you know inculcated in our offense for so many years because we would be kind of dumb to go away from that stuff, right? It's hard to defend, so we still ran we still ran some of that stuff, and it was effective at times. And and we you know rotated running backs in and out. But again, when you're when you're running quarterbacks in and out like we were, really, you know, at, starting with Arkansas State when 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 Grayson went down, that that, that makes it kind of tough. It was a different looking offense, right? I mean, we threw it around uh, in, in a little bit of a different style than we used to, you know. But I mean, yeah, to, to to take Grayson out of that, and I think it took him a little bit to get used to kind of the new way, right? I mean, he got off to a bit of a slow start and kind of the new things that we were trying to do. And then at Appalachian State, he figured it out, right? All of a sudden, I think they kind of got in that quarterback room. And Coach Beck has a great history with coaching quarterbacks, right? I mean, he gets in there and he's helping out. And, you know, Travis does a good job with these guys. And, and they kind of figured out the new things that we wanted to do. And they kind of got settled in and, and improved as the season went on. And Grayson was having a great game at Ark State, too, when he got knocked out. So, you know, it was it was different, but, you know, still very effective. It was definitely effective, and I think the most impressive part is just the three different quarterbacks. They're three different body types, three different skill sets, and the fact that the offensive staff was still able to rally around whoever was at center and make it work was definitely impressive. We know that a big part of the offense and this program as a whole is Grayson McCall. Most already regard him as the best player in program history, but this season ends with a scary injury against Arkansas State, like you mentioned, that he never returned from. Now he's transferred to NC State. Whether it's on the field or off the field, could you maybe put into perspective the legacy that Grayson McCall is leaving behind and how he'll be remembered in Conway moving forward. Well, he will certainly never be forgotten. I can tell you that. I mean, four years. I mean, that 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 kid gave it all for this program, right? I mean, he he took licks and got right back up again, and you know, finally he just you know, he took that hit at Ark State, and you know, just just wasn't able to come back from that. But uh, what a warrior, a leader, a competitor. You know, I remember the first time that we saw him in game action out at Kansas in 2020 in that crazy season. Nobody in the stands out there. <laughs> and we're starting Grace McCall, you know, for the first time. And I had heard, you know, Jamie had told me in, sp in spring, because we actually got our spring practice in. We were one of the few teams that actually got that practice, got spring ball in before everything, you know, sh shut down for, for the, you know, much of the rest of the year. But he had told me, watch out for Grace McCall. Watch this kid. You know, and then we of course we get out to Kansas and he starts ripping a couple of balls out there. It's like and I look at Lane Harris, you know, we do the games together. I'm like, you see that? <laughs> yeah, you watching that? And then he's running the offense in a way that we had never had a guy been at, you know, due to the level that he was able to run that kind of offense. He did that for us. And he just he just brought he just brought it. I mean, he he brought a different level of play at that position that we that we hadn't had. And you know, obviously, I you know you hate hate to see it go. You know, when he took the hit at Ark State, it, it, in my mind, I thought Is this is the last we're going to see of him because it was that was brutal. That was tough. I th honestly thought maybe last year in the bowl game against East Carolina when he scored and landed on his head, right? And <laughs> he's walking off to the locker room. I thought, is this the last time? And then he comes back, and you know, he's really starting to settle into this offense as I'd mentioned earlier. And then he gets he gets uh, banged up there at Ark State, but uh, just a a, a warrior. 
a guy that just, you know, raised this program to a level at the FBS level that, that obviously we hadn't been. We hadn't been at FBS long, but he plays that position. He played that position for us in a level that we never had. And we're certainly going to miss him just in everything that he brought on and off the field. Well, we certainly hope in years to come, maybe there's a, a statue of Grayson McCall, at least a, a jersey number retired because the work that he did with these teammates to elevate this program to where it is, it, it can't be denied. But this team, as we mentioned, did get a little bit of a preview this year about life without Grayson McCall, and it, and it didn't look too bad. Ethan Vasco grew throughout the year. He's a strong runner and showed some really great stuff in the passing game in Hawaii. Jared Guest currently in the transfer portal, but you bring in former Michigan State quarterback Noah Kim, who is currently committed to Coastal. What do you think the future of this position looks like post Grayson McCall, especially with the offensive staff staying largely intact? No, I think it's going to be incredibly strong. I think that quarterback room next year is going to really be good. Now, that's a that's assuming that we don't lose anybody, right? I mean, this day and age where guys are popping around and who knows who's going where, if everybody stays, you know, I think we're going to have a very strong quarterback core going into 2024. You mentioned Ethan Vasco. Of course, he, you know, he has to run out there and start that uh, Old Dominion game. He leads us back. He's a big, strong kid, and he looked really good throwing the ball as he got down through the season, right? He made a lot of great decisions out there in Hawaii. Didn't turn the ball over. You know, didn't put it in jeopardy, which you know, when we force to and don't turn it over, you're going to win more often than not. So I'm really looking forward to to him and he, he he runs the ball too. I mean, we actually set up some stuff to where we're just running quarterback power, right? We're just going to get some guys out in front of him and let him run. I mean, his 75 yard touchdown run against Old Dominion turned that game completely around, right? So he can run it, he can throw it. Blake Boda is another one that we brought in last year. You know, I mean, he he's a highly touted left handed quarterback. Didn't see, yeah, you know, I think he threw maybe two passes this season. He's there too. We got a kid from IMG Academy, our uh, latest our, our recruiting class in December that we signed. Big time recruit. So, I mean, we've got guys, like you mentioned, a youngster coming in from Michigan State. I think it's going to be a very, very strong quarterback room and very much looking forward to this battle coming up in the spring and in the fall camp. Who's going to be out there when we go to Jack State? That's definitely a good position to have some strength in. And I know a lot of teams across the conference have some question marks at that position, but it sounds like in Conway, there are positive question marks, exciting question marks looking forward at the quarterback position. But the defense was another big story. This year, last season, they gave up 30 points a game and really struggled against a passing tack and were oftentimes kind of the Achilles heel of this team as it made its run to the championship game. This year was a lot different under Craig Nivar. He was nominated for a Burroughs Award. The defense got much, much better, it seemed like, across the board. Where did you see the most growth from this year's unit compared to the one we saw last? Okay, that's a great point. You're absolutely right. Defensively, we got so much better. And I think, you know... One of the biggest things that we got better at was we limited explosive plays. I mean, when you look back at 2022, we gave up 103 explosive plays, plays of 20 yards or more. In 2021, it was 77. This season, including the bowl, it was 51. Now, when you stop people from exploding on you like that, you're going to get better. You know, we got more, we got bigger, we got more physical on the back end. We brought in four or five, you know, transfer portal kids who, Sometimes you see those guys pan out, and sometimes you don't. Every one of these guys panned out for us at all these positions, right? I mean, so we really hit home runs bringing in some of the youngsters that we did because we had to. We had to get more physical. We had to get better there. Like I said, just giving up big plays will kill you in a football game, and you know that, right? I mean, so we got better there, and uh, you know, being able to slow people down and stop people. You know, I mean, we, and you saw that in the in the bowl game. I mean, we were able to slow. San Jose State's running game down. I mean, that team came in, you know, rushing for like 250 in their last six. 
and they couldn't get much of anything going against us. And that was, I think, how everything kind of coalesced with the defense. You saw it there in the Hawaii Bowl. So hopefully, you know, I, and I would imagine that again, and I have, I really don't know until we announce them who's coming in, you know, we're going to have to bring in some more guys. But, I mean, getting bigger, getting more physical, getting better on the back end where we were just getting burned left and right, big keys for us to get, you know, getting better on that side. Joe, I think those are some great points there. And obviously we saw, uh, you know, just the improvement there defensively. Here's the next headline, though. Former App State Mountaineer Caden Smith, jealous of Coastal Carolina's bowl trip. Uh, you guys get to go to Hawaii. Uh, he Caden played in a lot of bowl games, but not a destination like that. What was the experience like from the events leading up to the game, the game itself, a game that Coastal ended up going on to win? You know, that was such a fantastic experience. And I, I think I maybe had was telling you guys before we started recording how the whole thing came about was just kind of wild too. I mean, we were just kind of in the right place at the right time, you know, a couple of days after the old, um, after the uh, James Madison loss. And that that's when, you know, things, teams start jockeying for positions and bowls start making deals and whatnot. The Sun Belt, as you guys both know, had 12 teams and we only have five guaranteed spots. Right. And so that obviously means that we're, <laughs> we got, we're going to have teams going to other, other games at ESPN events, you know, that, they have rights to a lot of these games. And so they're, they're very much involved in negotiations, right? And so our AD, Matt Hogue, and our president, Dr. Michael Benson, were kind of texting, and I think they were kind of collaborating with the ESPN events people. And it's like, hey, you know, a couple of days after, what about Hawaii? Because that was an American Athletic Conference uh, slot, that, and they didn't have enough. And so obviously, while us with 12, we needed teams, we needed places for our guys, to, our teams to go. And the ESPN event said, okay. It's kind of like, okay, if you guys think you can make it happen, Make it happen. <laughs> and so we made it happen. And we went out there about five days before uh, kickoff on that Monday before we played on Saturday. And it was just great. Had a team luau, which was fantastic. I was able to take my wife. It was kind of like a 30-year anniversary trip for us. You know, we'd never been there. I was able to get her on the charter and take her out there. We had a, a dinner cruise the first night we were there. Went to Pearl Harbor. You know, the team went. And then our radio crew kind of, we went separately from them. But, you know, got to experience that. And you know, then, then, of course, you got the bowl game, right? I mean, it's like you get to that Saturday. It's like, man, <laughs> let's play this game, right? And so we played the game and played awfully, awfully well against a very good San Jose State team. I think they were the best in the Mountain West at the end of the year, even though they didn't get to go to the championship game. But it, overall, it was just, you know, a fantastic experience. If you've never been to Hawaii, uh, you take an opportunity and, and just to go see the beauty out there. We actually got a car one day, just kind of drove around the island a little bit. You know, and it's just, it's just all, it's awesome go out there and see that so something i'll never forget that's for sure definitely sounds like an amazing experience i know me noah and many others were probably living through the chanta clears while they were having that experience in hawaii but last question for you joe this coastal carolina team is going to have some new pieces heading into next year and year two under coach beck you lose grayson mccall this east schedule and schedules in general for this coastal carolina team is not going to be easy what are your expectations for the shots heading into 2024 looking at that season well, we do have a difficult schedule again coming up. I mean, we had one of the toughest in all of college football this season when you look at it, right? I mean, we, you know, we, we played a tough slate and we've got another tough slate coming up and we're going to open at Jacksonville State, right? I mean, that's a team that, well, they won nine games in their bowl game. They beat Louisiana right in their backyard. So that's going to be tough to, tough to deal with them from the jump. And we get Virginia at home. <laughs> we'll get an ACC club coming to us too in, in September. So it's not going to be easy. Uh, Louisiana's back on the schedule. We go to Troy. Uh, the, the two West opponents that will play those those won't be easy games. But yeah, you know, if, if I, I think you know if again if we can kind of reload and 
and, and kind of tweak some things and, and kind of keep our momentum on defense, I think we'll be re- very good there again. And, again, we talked about the quarterback room. I think it's going to be strong. You know, we lost a running back to Georgia State, maybe the guy that uh, was, was the most productive for us this season. But, I mean, we've got a strong core coming back there. Most of our offensive line is back, so we should be good there. You know, and, and our kicking game should be solid again. So I, I expect big things again. I mean, when you win like this program's won in 21 seasons, you expect to win. And we expect to win next season. So I'm looking forward to it and uh, be interested to see how spring ball goes, who, who, you know, who emerges there, what we get done there. And again, you know, the, the fall will be right around the corner, you know, and then uh, the 2024 season will we'll be putting the ball on the tee very soon. But I, I'm excited about it. And you got to get some momentum too coming off a bowl win, eight win season. You're going to have that momentum going into 24. Well, certainly, Kane and I are both excited about the upcoming 2024 season for the Chanticleers. Joe, thanks for taking some time and providing some great insight on the uh, the recently completed year for Coastal Carolina. Well, Noah and Caden, thanks so much for having me on. And hey, can I plug can I plug our podcast real quick, the Strut Podcast? Yeah, go ahead. You know, join Chili and TD and me on the Strut. You can find us on Twitter and and uh, and uh, X, whatever they're calling it today, X, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Apple. At Spotify, you can find us there. You also have a YouTube channel. So if you want to know the best, uh, most up-to-date information on coastal football and coastal athletics, the Strut Podcast. And again, thank you guys for having me on, and I enjoyed it. Caden, that was a fun conversation there. It was a lot of fun to hear about uh, Coastal Carolina's trip to Hawaii. But I know one of the things that you and I have spent a lot of time talking about, that five-game winning streak, it was interesting to hear some of the insider's perspective during that stretch. We've talked about three different starting quarterbacks, but to hear that Tim Beck, you know, kind of stepped in and really helped guide this team in that quarterback room during that time, it really gave me hope for the future of the quarterback position at Coastal Carolina heading into 2024. Yeah, and it's interesting because we'll look at this conference going into next season and definitely take a lot of stock as far as what the quarterback position is looking like for every team. But I think you could argue at Coastal Carolina, it might matter the least, just given what Tim Beck was able to show in that five game stretch. I mean, if you can rattle off five straight wins with five quarterbacks, as I mentioned, that have different skill sets, you have an entire offseason with a loaded, talented quarterback room, which it sounds like Joe was referring to. That's going to give Coach Beck and this staff a lot of time to figure out who their guy is, have these this group push each other. And ultimately, when you get close to the season, really kind of formulate and build an offense around a quarterback that leans into their strengths. I love what I saw from Ethan Vasco this year as a strong runner, extremely strong passer too. But it sounds like they have options back there at worst. He's going to get pushed into being a better starter than he was this last season, or we'll see someone overtake him. But regardless, I think it was very impressive in that five-game winning streak to see what the offense was able to do. And of course, shout out to the defense for being much improved and well as well. I think those things that we saw in that five-game winning streak gives this team a lot of hope in the offseason heading into next year, just given that it'll probably be in a better spot with players that have more experience in the system, quarterbacks that are more comfortable, more consistent in that position. Just really excited for this team set up in 2024, given their five-game winning streak is kind of a microcosm and a look ahead to what we can see next year. Well, and Caden, you mentioned it. It does sound like, based on who's coming back, that that quarterback room could be pretty loaded with some of the new additions to this team, as well as guys that were there, both out of the transfer portal coming in, as well as the freshmen. So I think a lot to be excited about uh, for Coastal Carolina as we look ahead uh, briefly to 2024. Well, it's time to turn our attention now to the Arkansas State Red Wolves. Cato, this is, it was a tough stretch for Red Wolves fans leading into this year, but this program returned to prominence in 2023 and bigger things could be ahead on the horizon. They finished six and six. They found their quarterback of the future and they made their first bowl appearance since 2019. 
This year was another step forward for Arkansas State, Cato. What will you remember most about this year for the Red Wolves? I think what I'll remember most this year is just how different this team looked in the year before. I mean, do you look back at last season? Do you remember going into any weekends really feeling bullish on Arkansas State and picking them for any games? No, I think even if they wouldn't have made a bowl game this year, the way they were able to compete on a weekly basis and playing competitive football games just regularly showed their improvement. And the fact that they were able to rise to the occasion, rally around a quarterback, rally around an improved defense and a head coach that believes in them and rattle off some wins and get to that six win mark was just huge for this program. So I think the biggest thing weirdly that I'll remember about 2023 is how different this team looked in 2022 and 2021 when I played this team. So this is a team that's definitely proven itself this year. Definitely a big prove it year for them in the West, making some noise. And I think that's just what I'll remember most as far as their impact they were able to have and how different they were able to look from past teams. Yeah, definitely a lot of pieces in place for Arkansas State, particularly on offense as we look ahead to next year. Well, Arkansas State's Matt Stoltz, he's in the waiting room. Let's not waste any more time. It's time to review the Red Wolves 2023 season. Well, we are excited to be joined by the voice of the Arkansas State Red Wolves, Matt Stoltz, here on the Farian Smith Podcast. Matt, thanks for taking some time to come on the show. Noah, Caden, great to be with you guys. And first off, I just want to say thank you for all you guys are doing for the Sunbelt Conference. You're just helping uh, build this league more and more, and it's becoming one of the better leagues in the entire country. I think anybody that's paid attention knows that, but uh, for you guys to step up and do what you're doing every week on this podcast, I think is awesome. So thanks for having me today. Well, Matt, we appreciate the uh, the kind words, and now it's time to talk about your favorite subject, and that's Arkansas State football uh, this season for A-State started with that bad loss to Oklahoma that many people remember, but it ended a few months later with the best record in the Butch Jones era and the first bowl appearance since 2019. What was the difference between the team that we saw in Norman in week one and the team that ended this season in a bowl game? Yeah, it was a lot of fun to watch this team grow from week one all the way to the Camellia Bowl. And I think this team took steps every single week. I saw this team steadily improve throughout the course of the season. And if you're looking for a turning point, I think it came in the second half of our week three game. It was against our FCS opponent, Stony Brook. And that's when Jalen Rayner was put in the ball game. And we saw a true freshman really come in and transform just the feel of the entire season. And when he stepped on the field, there was just a confidence that was radiating through him. And I think the rest of the team just seemed to kind of believe at the same time. And from that point forward, I think we started to see this this team take some big strides and it was really, really fun to watch. And I'm not saying it was just Jalen Rayner. We saw this team grow in every single phase, but just the confidence that this team had in him, you don't see a, a lot of true freshmen have an entire roster kind of gravitate towards him, but Jalen is that guy. He's kind of got that it factor and it was fun to watch this year. Appreciate you joining us, Matt. And we talked to Coach Jones ahead of the season and he called his first season in Jonesboro really year zero, kind of given the personnel and the need to develop and grow. And it took time for him to evaluate and develop the culture. And now we're seeing kind of that fruit at work. What would you say the biggest difference was between this year's Arkansas State team and the previous two under Bush Jones? Well, you know, you hear that word in college football a lot, culture. And I think it's probably overused in a lot of cases. 
In our case, I don't think so because Butch Jones needed to implement or install his culture at Arkansas State, and that's exactly what he's done. He's brought in his type of guys. He's brought this program up kind of the old school way, through the high school ranks. And we see so many schools going out there and trying to get immediate gratification through the portal, and they're not building the program for the long term. But we've seen Arkansas State really stay true to the course there. Yes, they've gone out and addressed some immediate needs through the portal, and and I think they found a really good balance there. But you've seen this team now, depending on where you look as far as the recruiting rankings, but this program has now turned in three straight number one ranked recruiting classes in the Sun Belt, and there's a reason for that. They've gone out and made great relationships, not only Coach Jones, but this entire coaching staff with high school kids across the country. They brought in those guys, and those high school kids are the ones that are really responsible for building up this culture. Well, and I think it was exciting to start seeing some of that building pay off here in year three, you mentioned those recruiting classes, and obviously one of those guys, and you already alluded to him earlier, was Jalen Rayner. And, and we've gone about as long in this interview as we can without talking about him. So let's do it. He took over under center, as you mentioned, in week three, and, and honestly, the rest is history at this point. He ends the year as the league's freshman of the year. He was an excellent passer and a runner. And honestly, Matt, I felt like he helped elevate this team to new heights. What stands out about the season that Jalen Rayner had? Well, you talk about just his tools and being able to not only throw the football and throw it accurately, which he did, but his threat in the ground game. And you go back over the history of this league and really anywhere you look in college football, there's not a lot of programs that have success and especially sustained success with a pocket passer. And in the case of Jalen Rayner, he's that dual threat that Arkansas State has been missing over the course of the last three years or so, and you go back over Arkansas State's incredible run from 2011 to 2019, where they had nine straight winning seasons and nine straight bowl games, and there were five conference championships in that span, and they always had a dual-threat quarterback, whether it was Ryan Applin or Freddie Knighton or Justice Hansen, all those guys were that dual threat at that quarterback position. And and we had been missing that the last few years. And now you insert a guy like Jalen Rayner, and it's just a game changer. There's so many things that you can do differently offensively. And I think the Red Wolves were able to take advantage of that. And look, you can be a dual threat and be able to throw the football, but I, I think there were some things in in there that were kind of sprinkled in the intangibles, uh, just what kind of leader he is. Um, I think that was immediately seen as soon as he took over that starting job. But, hey, he throws a good deep ball. He's got a really good touch on his passes. His decision-making was very, very good, especially for a true freshman. Just seven interceptions on the year for a true freshman who started most of the season, I think, kind of tells you a lot. No, you're talking to two guys that are definitely buying a lot of Jalen Rayner stock heading into the year. And just to follow up on Jalen, this is a true freshman who's shown the ability to elevate this team. I mean, this is a kid that was just at prom last year, the opposing quarterback he was playing in the bowl game seemed like he was a decade older than Jalen. How did you feel the team responded to Rayner like you mentioned? And maybe could you share some of that personality or some of those intangibles, the leadership you talked about that you saw from your perspective in his first year with the team? Well, Caden, I know what you meant by prom, but he didn't go to prom because he came 
spring semester last year. He wanted to get to campus early and uh, make sure that he was participating in spring football, going through that. And I I think that really, really served him well, just being on campus that spring semester and, and getting acclimated with the system, with the offense, getting to know his teammates. I I think they were able to gain a lot of respect and trust in him from a very early stage. So I I think that spring season meant a lot last year. And that's a big reason I think he was able to go ahead and, and take over as a true freshman at that starting quarterback position. But yeah, I, I think and I kind of alluded to it earlier, just the way his teammates gravitate towards him. He's got that it factor that you don't see. And and Butch Jones told me both on and off the air about uh, just how his teammates react to Jalen. And, and you don't see it that often, especially with a kid that young, the guys just gravitate towards them. And I think that's that's a quality you need in your starting quarterback, quality you need in your leader of your football team. And, and I think they found that in Jalen. Well, and it definitely is something that now Arkansas State fans who've had to go through some struggles over the last couple of years can certainly dream on the future having Jalen Rayner under center, Matt, we've, you know, obviously at the beginning of the year, we talked about it, a 70 point loss, uh, you know, to Oklahoma, but then you guys return the favor and beat Texas state 77 to 31 in late November. That game featured a 42 point scoring swing, three defensive touchdowns, a kickoff return for a touchdown, seven rushing scores. That had to be a radio announcer's dream, right? It was a blast. And I'll, I'll tell you, it, it was, you, you mentioned the Oklahoma game it was kind of coming full circle, just seeing how much this team had grown throughout the course of the season. And that Texas State game is one I'm never going to forget because there was a stretch there in the second half where the offense didn't see the field for over a quarter. And we still scored four touchdowns during that stretch. To be able to see three defensive touchdowns and a kickoff return for a touchdown in that span, and the offense never saw the field as one of the more unique things that I've ever seen on a football field, period, much less in person. But it uh, it showed just how complete a performance it was. One unique stat about that out of many, and you mentioned, or I mentioned the special team score, the defensive touchdowns. There were 11 touchdowns in that game for the Red Wolves. Jalen Rayner did not have a passing touchdown in that game <laughs> or a rushing touchdown, but it was uh, it, it was just a total team effort and one that uh, I think the Red Wolves can you know look back on during this offseason and and kind of build on going into the future. It certainly was a, a huge bright spot in the 2023 season. Yeah, definitely a one-of-one type of game. And when we talked to Jacob Bayer, we kind of talked about that kind of instilling confidence in the team, knowing that you're capable of playing at that peak level on all facets of the game. Definitely a fun game to watch, and I'm sure a fun game to be a part of. But this year ends with a trip to the Camellia Bowls, the program's first bowl appearance since 2019. The loss had plenty of controversy at the end because of that late onside kick penalty. Could you just tell us about the experience in Montgomery overall, and what were your thoughts on that late game penalty that kind of broke me and Noah's hearts when we were watching it at home? Yeah, it was the third time we had been to the Camellia Bowl, so we were familiar with that bowl, and it's a good bowl. They do a really good job with it, and we were just happy to be back 
to a bowl. We kind of got spoiled during that nine-year stretch where we were going every single year. But after you don't go for three consecutive seasons, I think it's easy to kind of find a new appreciation for just going back to a bowl game. And I think especially the way this team grew throughout the course of the season, we see this program trending in the right direction. So it was it was a good way to celebrate this year's team and kind of look ahead to the future at the same time. And it, it would have been great to to win that game. And yes, you go back to the, the ending of it and it was heartbreaking. I don't, I don't think there's uh, any doubt the wrong call was made on the offsides on the onside kick at the end of the game. And I asked Butch Jones here in the last couple of weeks, you know, how long it took for him to hear from the director of the officials after the game. He said, I, I heard from them that night and they admitted that, Hey, they got the call wrong. And, and that's unfortunate because the Red Wolves had just scored at that point. You got all of your timeouts. You you got over a minute to work with. And really you only need after you, you know, uh, recover the onside, you only need maybe 20, 25 yards to get in, really makeable field goal range for Dominic Zavato, who is one of the better kickers in the league. So, yes, I, I think if if that call goes right, the chances of the Red Wolves winning that game were very, very good. Now, Coach Jones will tell you that there were plenty of opportunities earlier in that game for the Red Wolves to not only take the lead, but take it and build on it. So there were some missed opportunities earlier in that game, but man, it sure would have been nice to to have that call right on the field. Matt, I remember talking to Caden as soon as that had happened, and obviously he has you know prowess as a former special teams member during his career, and he said it was tough to watch because at the end of the day, that unit, you practice all year long for that. You finally get the opportunity, and to have it taken away is definitely disappointing, but uh, you mentioned it, three years of, of Butch Jones, this era is now behind us. This uh, The first two years were spent rebuilding this program. Year three brought glimpses of a potential bright future for a former Sunbelt power. Go ahead and assess Butch Jones and the work that this staff has done over his first years of their tenure in Jonesboro. Well, number one, I've enjoyed working with Coach Jones immensely. He's a fantastic human being, and I, I just love the way he's come in and Stayed true to his plan. He wanted to build this program up through the high school ranks. If he's looking to move on from Jonesboro, he certainly doesn't act like it through the way he recruits and trying to build it up through the high school ranks. We've talked about that, but I think his plan has been really, really good. This was still one of the younger teams in the country this past year, and I think they're set up finally now. And you look at Coach Jones' success in year three and year four, and in his previous stops at Central Michigan, Cincinnati, Tennessee, that's when he really started thriving. And I think that this program now is in a position where it can contend for a championship next season. And I think that's what they expect after three straight recruiting classes, implementing the culture they want to have here. I think I saw something the other day. We were, we're returning 90% of the offense from this past year, including four starters on the offensive line. So there's a lot coming back, and they really, really like the guys that they're bringing in. You know, they've only announced the high school recruits so far, and I think a lot of programs are doing the same thing to where they're waiting till that first Wednesday in February to officially announce the portal guys, and that's for good reason because there's nothing binding 
for those portal guys uh, to actually come to the school if if you announce them sooner than early February. So uh, I think this class is going to get even better than what it it already is. Uh, there's still opportunities to to kind of add a couple of additions through the portal, but overall. I think Coach Jones has this program in a position now where it can win, and it can win on a uh, on a regular basis, and that starts this next year. I, I think this is an Arkansas State program that can contend in the Sun Belt Western Division. Well, we'll leave you with this, and Matt. You mentioned at this point of the offseason, the offense is expected to bring back a lot of their production this fall. There's still some holes on the defensive side of the ball to fill, but the west of the of the Sunbelt Conference looks a little bit and feels a little bit more open than it did last season. What does Arkansas State need to do in order to take that next step in 2024 in your eyes? Yeah, I think, and I know it's cliche, but I think they need to stay the course. Just keep doing what they're doing right now. They're on a really good trajectory right now, and to just continue to do what they're doing. I, I think they're going to go out and and find the right guys through the portal to kind of plug in. But uh, this is a team that only lost 10 seniors from last year. And, and you see all the additions that are coming in, you know, from a team that won six games last year and, and uh, very possibly could have won a, or possibly should have won a seventh in that bowl game but uh i i really think this team is set up I, I think just staying the course is the main thing for arkansas state and if they do that i think 2024 can be a really big year well the west certainly seems a little bit more open than it has been over the last couple of years so certainly a chance for arkansas state to maybe uh break down that wall and get back to a sunbelt championship game but matt appreciate your time today and just the insight on arkansas state football here today Noah, Caden, again, thanks for having me. Appreciate all you guys do. And uh, looking forward to football season. Can't get here soon enough. Caden, that was an excellent conversation. Very insightful. And honestly, my big takeaway is it's good to hear about positive momentum in Jonesboro. This is an Arkansas State team that largely ran the Sunbelt West for many years. There's been some lean years recently, but it sounds like they're trending in the right direction. And now with Maybe a Troy and a South Alabama perhaps taking a step back after losing their head coaches. It feels like the West is open and Arkansas State might be able to take advantage. Yeah, no, this is a program where when I started playing at App State in 2016, they were on the back end of some of their dominance. So I'd only heard about some of the excellent things they were doing as far as making consecutive win seasons and consecutive bowl games and stuff. So seeing this team kind of take a step back from that and now trend in the right direction and head in that direction is, is awesome to see. You have to give a credit to Coach Jones for doing that. It's not easy rebuilding college football ch programs. And you have to give a shout out as well to the Arkansas State kind of uppers for seeing it through, seeing the process through and letting this thing grow and develop to the point where now when you talk about the West heading into next year, you want to make your decision on who's going to come out of the West and just base it off of continuity and trajectory and who's trending in the right directions. It's hard not to kind of count out this Arkansas State team, given what they did last year, how they're looking, they could pan and grow on that next season compared to some teams who definitely showed some great things in the West last year, but maybe taking a step back due to some different quarterback changes, coach changes. This team has their kind of core now. They're going to take a lot of that into next year, and I definitely think they're going to be on everyone's radar as far as a potential contender to come out of the West and compete for that conference championship. Caden, on this podcast, we have heaped a ton of love on Jalen Rayner. There was a little bit more heaped on him during that interview by Matt Stoltz. Is Jalen Rayner a sneaky conference player of the year candidate as we look ahead to next year? 
There's no question in my mind that he is no. It's definitely not sneaky on my end when I think about Jalen Rayner and his potential and what noise he can make in this conference moving forward. We've talked about all the traits he has as a passer, as a runner, what he's able to do early in the game and just the way he sees the game and is able to use his skill set in a way we really haven't seen the quarterback position in Jonesboro be used in the last couple of years. And then just hearing those details as well from our conversation I think that now knowing that he also has those intangibles, Matt talking about how this team was able to gravitate around him despite being a freshman, kind of putting that to the side and knowing that this is their best bet as far as having a good season. This is the leader who's back. They need to jump on and let them carry them and lead them in the right direction. He was able to do that this year. So I think just a full off season, this team taking their offense back and taking it to another level makes him definitely a contender, I think, as far as not just quarterbacks in the league, but all players in the league of being able to build on such a consistent and good season and put yourself in that conversation as one of the conference's best by December. I think it's definitely in the question and in the cards for Jalen Rayner for sure. Well, certainly a lot of things trending up in Jonesboro. This will be a team to watch in 2024. Well, that's going to do it for the fourth episode in our Sunbelt in review series. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to Coastal Carolina's Joe Cashin, as well as Arkansas State's Matt Stoltz for joining us for today's talk. Kate and I can't wait to continue reviewing each of the Sunbelt team's 2023 years over the next couple of weeks. Before you go, don't forget, we're coming back on Friday. We're going to be releasing the latest episode in our in review series, focusing on the Marshall Thundering Herd and Georgia State Panthers. Voices of the Thundering Herd, Steve Cotton, as well as the Panthers, Dave Cohen, will join us. You're going to want to give it a listen. That'll do it for us here at the Ferry and Smith Podcast. Before you go, here's one thing you can do for us. Continue telling your friends about the Ferry and Smith Podcast. Help us to continue growing this show into the premier destination for Sunbelt football fans. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Frary. We really appreciate you spending time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again on Friday.